This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back into the Lions 24 7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We've got some storylines, some updates to get to from early game week number five as Penn State prepares for another Big Ten road trip out to Northwestern this Saturday. We are actually fresh out of the Beaver Stadium media room, spent about 45 minutes there with James Franklin. Uh, we have coverage at lions247.com. Daniel Gallon will join me a little bit later here on this episode of the Lions 24 7 podcast. But the Nittany Lions are on fire right now when it comes to recruiting. Back-to-back-to-back days uh, now with picking up commitments. Brady O'Hara makes his decision, goes public on Tuesday, joining the Nittany Lions 2025 class. He is the second in-state pickup in a three-day span, and he is also the second top 24-7 pickup during this post-whiteout commit spree. And to help us break down this edition and a lot more from what has been a very busy weekend and now early week for Nittany Lions recruiting, we welcome Brian Doan back to the show. And Brian, we timed this one out well. I actually reached out to you uh, this morning to come on to the podcast to talk about the, the last couple commitments and some of the conversations you've had coming out of the whiteout. And within a half hour of that text, Brady O'Hara joined the party. So I'm glad we were able to get you on this Tuesday. Yeah, no, I, I know that uh, I was kind of expecting Brady maybe would do it a little later in the week. But I think the writing was on the wall for that one with how many times you visited. But yeah, it's a uh, you know, I'm a late sleeper, so all of a sudden my phone started buzzing. It was time to get up. <laughs> well, I mean, Penn State's been providing the news on the recruiting front lately, and we know that the whiteout weekend is always a potential harbinger of things to come, and that has proven to be the case. And let's start with this latest pickup, and we'll work our ways to the others. Uh, Brady O'Hara, we've discussed him quite a bit here on the podcast. Tyler Calvaruso, yourself, Steve Wolfong have had crystal ball picks in for O'Hara to end up with the Nittany Lions. And he is a big jumbo athlete. Uh, we, we talked earlier in this process about him being a tight end. That's where we witnessed him camp with Penn State this summer. But can you come and bring us up to speed on his decision and where he stands in terms of a position with Penn State? Yeah, I, I think um, the easiest way to put it is there's a little bit of flux involved there with how his frame continues to develop. Uh, he, you know, I, I saw him twice in the last few months, I saw him at a camp in the spring in New Jersey when it was raining so hard, I thought I was going to have to build an arc. And he, he was amazing catching everything there. 
um, in terrible conditions and he looked good. And then I saw him out in Pittsburgh in mid-July. And again, he caught everything. But, you know, when you think of a Penn State tight end, he's a little different than, you know, what you would get maybe with the Theo Johnson or Mike Kosecki, guys like that, where O'Hara's he can play in line, hand on the ground, block, and, you know, he's not going to create the athletic mismatch that some Penn State tight ends usually do in putting them out in the slot or out wide. And so that's where the discussions start to come in in terms of his future position. This is much different than the Mega Barnwell situation, which I always thought he was an offensive lineman um, from the moment he first committed as a freshman. I, I think O'Hara could do both. I think he could play tight end and be a blocking guy, get out, um, you know, catch the ball in some routes. I don't think he's a guy that'll stretch the field or really, you know, wow you with some of the moves, some of the other guys. But he also understands with his frame that he can develop into an offensive lineman. And there's a reason when he was on campus for the whiteout that he met with offensive line coach Phil Troutwine and tight ends coach Ty Howell. You know, usually it's an area recruiter and a position coach. And in this case, it just happened to be two different position coaches. And I think when you say jumbo athlete, that's accurate. He's not going to finish this class as a jumbo athlete. We'll figure it out as it moves along. You know, he's got almost, what, 15 months before he can sign, 16 months before he can sign. So to me, that'll figure itself out. And it also gives Penn State some kind of flexibility in recruiting. If if he is a tight end, you can still go get another one or two. If he's an offensive tackle, you're still going to get some more there. So it, it helps them for him to be a jumbo athlete right now, early on in the 2025 class. Brian, for the sake of this conversation, let's let's say he ends up playing offensive tackler. Let's say he ends up under the tutelage of Phil Troutwine to begin his college career. I, I, we got a couple. Uh, we got some long looks actually at this 2024 class during the course of the summer, and two guys that stood out in terms of length and just the non-traditional frame of physique right now, and in terms of lack of body fat, uh, were Egan Boyer and then Garrett Sexton. You know, I think they're both in that six-seven range, uh, but they're you know they're not what you'd expect a Power Five offensive lineman to maybe look like. And now here's O'Hara, who doesn't fit that mold at all. What do you think Phil Troutwine is looking at from a tackle position right now? Because I thought I think they've got some really interesting things brewing long term here. I think this is exactly what they're looking for. And and I knew that, you know, when he was at Boston College, it was the same kind of deal. He wants long athletic kids that you don't have to break down and build back up from a strength and weight standpoint to where when these kids get to Penn State, listen, if you're an offensive lineman, you have to be so special to play the, you know, as a true freshman anyway. And when you're talking about tackle development, it's going to take some time from the technique standpoint, um, you know, just in terms of strength and facing that kind of speed that you rarely see in high school at the college level. So it's always a development thing. And this is something when I went back, I remember when, when Phil got hired and I was doing stuff for lines two, four, seven, I spoke to some people in his past and some kids that he recruited and some coaches, and they were all talking about, this is the mold. It's, it's the, it's the Brady O'Hara mold for the most part, long athletic, can play different positions and you just build them up. And, you know, I, I look at it like, boy, I, I think it's Brian O'Neill, right? I, I just remember him when he was at Delaware 
as a high school player, and he wound up going to Pitt, and he was at a tight end all the time. I remember seeing him with Chris Godwin on the same seven-on-seven teams, and he played tight end, but he kind of he didn't buy into being an offensive lineman heading to college until you know he started getting close to his senior year. I think it's – I'm not saying he's going to be Brian O'Neill, but there's a lot of similarities in this path and also with the skill set. Brady O'Hara at a North Catholic in Pittsburgh. Uh, let's stay in Western PA because Penn State's latest running back pickup before that 2025 class uh, comes by way of Aliquippa, and that is uh, Tequay Hayes, running back. Uh, not as much pomp and circumstance around his prospect profile right now as we've seen around a Messiah Mickens or a Nick Singleton, some of the more recent in-state pickups for Penn State. But he provides a, a, another piece for J. Juan Sider. He has Keandre Barker, a top 24-7 prospect who's playing in the state of Texas right now as a high school junior, already committed for some time going back to, to April. Now he brings on Hayes. Brian, what do you think about how this one uh, – I feel like it, they sped up to, to, to the point where it went from this guy's kind of on the peripheral to he's a priority to he's in the class. No, I, I thought he was always pretty high up on the list. I just don't think um... – but for myself, I probably didn't do a good enough job emphasizing that to a lot of people. But you don't, if you're Penn State, you do not recruit Aliquippa High and offer a kid that you don't plan on going after. Um, just because of Terry Smith's connections there, Terry has known, you know, the, uh, second, you know, coaches in the secondary for Penn State. He's from Aliquippa, um, he's revered at the high school, even though he went to Gateway. So if they're going to offer him, they're going to recruit him. And and that was always the case. And I remember being at the state championship game during uh, Tequay's freshman year out in Hershey, which I really hope they move it back there, by the way, because that's where it should be. But watching him in that game as a freshman, he was just – you could already tell he was really good. And Penn State offered – maybe a week before that. I think they offered like December 1st. So whatever that game was, I think it was, I think it was right around that time. But I, I just remember watching him. He had such a good feel for running. And then as a sophomore, he puts up 2,100 yards. And I know Aliquip is dominant. And, you know, they're always producing kids that put up huge numbers. But listen, he, he, he can do a lot of different things. He can catch the ball. And I, I think for me, it was always – well, if Penn State's going to take him, of course that's where he's going to wind up. That's just the way it is. And I think, you know, when you say he was kind of a little under the radar, I think that was probably the case just because a lot of us thought, well, first of all, he's a 25, um, so maybe there wouldn't be that big push to get him. But you mentioned he, he already had, they already had one running back committed. If you look at the list, they had, I think, four running back visitors for the whiteout in the 25 class who had offers and you know it's one of the things tyler i was talking to some people just in the recruiting world the last few days and penn state had a lot of quality depth on this you know at the whiteout and it reminded me of last season with the 24 class and who's going to jump in like i'm writing a story for later on Wednesday on Lex Cyrus, the receiver out of Susquehanna. And he's a kid that, you know, ran in the four threes handheld at Penn State, which, look, four threes, whatever. It doesn't matter if he ran a four five, he's fast. He's got a 10 four five electronic in the hundred. You know, he's a lot, you know, I saw uh, Tysir Denmark, the Penn State commit play on Friday. And when I watched Denmark and then I watched Lex Cyrus's film, 
it's the same kind of movements and ball skills. And, you know, it, it's a lot of Jahan Dotson. And again, I'm not saying these kids are Jahan Dotson, but you can see how Penn State's recruiting these kids to fit into these classes. And so I, I go back to the running backs and with Taiqui, you you got to get in or there may not be a spot. And we're going to start seeing that. You say, you know, three commitments in three days. Yeah, because, you know, now that O'Hara is in, even if it's going to be as an offensive tackle, we don't know that yet. So does it make another tight end like Ryan Gia out of Georgia say, yeah, I'm, I'm, I got to jump in? Uh, Hayes is right now number 30 at the running back spot in 24-7 sports assessment. He's got an 88 rating, which places him in three-star status. Um, when you look at that evaluation, uh, where do you think maybe it goes from here? Do, do you think that sounds about right for now? No, I mean, it, it's we're focused right now on the 24 class, mm -hmm. but um, 88, you know, I know people think that three stars are bad players, but if you're an 88 with us, we think that you have NFL potential, right? So he's a high three star and yeah, he's got a chance to move up and we'll really get a good look at him uh, in October and November and, and see just how he's progressed. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, with Penn State, you think that there's going to be they know what they're doing at running back, right? You just I look think at so. the history. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it's, it's certain things you look at and you say, well, they know, we know this stuff. And it's just, you know, we all get to different places at the same time. And the important thing is get to the point where you, and I tell kids this all the time. I, I don't really care. You know, if I rank you somewhere in July, that's great, but make sure you're where you want to be in February after all the signing stuff's done, because that's what's important. Um, we'll go back to, to Sunday, which was the first of these three commitments coming out of the whiteout, and we'll go to your neck of the woods, the Garden State, one of the top players from New Jersey in the 2025 cycle uh, out of Henry Snyder High School in Jersey City, DJ McClary. He's the number 16 linebacker uh, overall in 24-7 sports rankings. He's number 121 talent overall in those rankings. I mean, this was a major vocal point for the linebacker recruiting, for defensive recruiting, Manny Diaz in this cycle, and they get it done here in September of 2023. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things with DJ, before you talk about what he is as a player, you look at why Penn State got him, and it's the approach they took to recruiting him and the people close to him. And by that, I mean it wasn't just Manny Diaz calling or a grad assistant calling or whatever. Every time he would go to campus, you know, a bunch of people on staff would talk to him, make him feel comfortable. They would always check in on him. They would deal with his coach a lot and his family. And it just made it really comfortable. And in talking to his coach late last week when, I mean, I think people know we kind of knew it was coming when, you know, you have the story with quotes about three seconds after. But, you know, what, what his coach kept telling me was, hey, it's the way they recruited him. You know, obviously you're going to get developed as a linebacker there, which, you know, speaks for itself, but it was beyond that. And then when you look at him as a player, man, he, his tape is fun just from a standpoint of, you know, we deal with a lot of the places where kids only play on one side of the ball or they're specialized or they're these powerhouses. And look, he plays for Snyder um, and it's a program that's building. They're in the same town as St. Peter's Prep. And I, he decided he wanted to play football there, and it's awesome. Now, he was hurt, and how valuable is he? Well, they lost to a team that hadn't won in three years when he was out on Thursday. And then you look at him, and he doesn't come off the field. I mean, it, it's one of those things where, you know, he's playing quarterback. He, he can do special teams. 
linebacker, he can run sideline to sideline. And what's amazing is not only is he running for 2,000 yards and making 130 tackles, in the fourth quarter, late in games, late in the season, he still looks fresh. And it's like, man, if I could just get a little bit of that energy, that would really <laughs> help me out in, in getting through my day. And then the other thing is, you know, he's not a – you didn't read a lot about him in recruiting because he's not a kid that wants to do a lot of interviews. He's he's old school from the standpoint of, yo, man, let me go to school, let me do my work, let me get better, and I don't need all the other stuff. I, I don't care about the other stuff. And so it was cool, and I can't wait. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go see them play – um, I think October 12th, they, they usually play Thursday games and, and I'm going to go watch him play. And I'm just excited to watch him. You know, I can't remember what TV commercial it was where, you know, some dude was making every play on the field and the game's over and he's like still being announced over the PA system. And I'm old, so I can't remember it. But uh, I feel like that's what I'm going to get when I go watch him play this year. It takes me back to what Tony Rojas did, uh, you know, on the high school field as a senior on both sides of the ball, relentless. Yeah, and, and I and I think, yeah, and I think he's even more important than to his team than what Tony was to his. Um, I mean, fun, fun, gonna be fun to track him in the, in the coming seasons yeah. before he actually makes it here to campus. And uh, Brian, let's dive into the the, the whiteout scene. Yeah. I mean, you you alluded to it. It was a fantastic opportunity, a lot of hard work to make it happen logistically for Penn State to get people in the seats. And Mother Nature wasn't really all that helpful this time around, but it still didn't really seem to matter. Um, I, I usually say there were dozens of offered recruits on campus. I think it's probably more appropriate to say there was nearly a hundred offered recruits on campus on this Saturday and two of the big fish out there. We've focused on 2025 so far. We're going to jump back into that cycle in a bit, but let's set the high school juniors on the back burner for the moment, because we're now under three full months away from the early signing period. That's going to really determine the final shapes of the 2024 recruiting class for Penn state and two defensive line prospects of note on campus here. Let's start with Ernest Willer top 100 overall defensive line prospect. Yeah, I, I think for him, and it's, you know, just so we're familiar with Ernest Willer for people who aren't, he began his career at St. Paul's in Maryland, then he went to Gilman for a year, transferred down to IMG for his junior year. Now he's back in Maryland at Concordia Prep, kind of wanted to be back home for his senior year. Um, and, and I don't view this as a typical wait for schools in four years. He was making strides and, and you know, he was trying to increase the level of program he was playing at as he went through this. And then when he was at IMG, he just decided to go go back to Maryland. But he, this is a really intriguing one, Tyler, because he hasn't made any official visits. He's a big-time talent. He did not participate in spring practice down at IMG. He did not make any officials during June, which everybody was, and he, he was waiting for the season. And, and they were wrong with, is he okay? Is now he's playing this year. Everybody says he's okay. And I think some schools now are kind of they were in that wait and see mode, really trying to see what was going on. Is he gonna play? Is he healthy? Um, and now he's playing. And so he visited Maryland unofficially. The Penn State visit was unofficial. And I'm really curious to see if and when he gets back. I expect him to get back to campus. I'll start with that. But as you will, as you may know, it was the weather really wasn't great over the weekend, and making that drive up from the DMV was not easy. So they got there later, so he didn't have a chance to really meet with Dion Barnes or with James Franklin, Dion Barnes, the D line coach. And so, 
it kind of slowed it down a little bit in terms of can you schedule an official what's next for that situation and i think um it's still kind of a holding pattern with his recruitment he's maryland penn state uh south carolina is involved let's see how much involved virginia tech is it's stuff like that but i still think it's one of those situations where you're just trying to figure out what the next step is with him you know there's a next step just not sure where it is right now well we've been waiting for the next step with Jalen harvey for months now it feels <laughs> like he's you know he's kind of done some side steps along I, the way i thought we got i thought we did the final step and then we went backward <laughs> uh, and here we are uh you know, still some hats on the table he still has not picked any of them up uh, and, and Jalen harvey of course back here at the whiteout we saw firsthand uh, via Brennan Cam after the game that James Franklin was very familiar with him, giving him a lot of hugs, kind of roughhousing a little bit afterwards. But clearly he's got as much familiarity as you could want with the Penn State staff and even with players on the team at this point. Um, where do you feel like this thing is coming out of the whiteout? And is it moving to the finish line? Or do you think there may be some more uh, maneuvering in play? Uh, can it be both? <laughs> it certainly could. Um, so coming out of the whiteout, he told me no more visits and he was close to a decision. It would be sometime in October. And I've, I've been dealing with him and, you know, his inner circle for a while. And, and as it sits right now, yes, that's what it is. Now, he also in August said that he was getting close to a decision and he didn't think he'd make any more visits. And since then, he's visited USC, Maryland and Penn State. And I know people are ready for this to end and i thought it was going to end in june and then i thought it was going to end in july and then august i have a freshman in college right now who given the day doesn't know what he wants to eat or can't remember where his car keys are which is like every college freshman and every kid jalen's age so he's not comfortable yet and he talked about some different things when i was with him at his school a few weeks ago including he's trying to start a clothing line and who can help him with that. And listen, we can, we can talk about whether you agree with that or disagree with it, but NIL is now part of this and how you can help kids expand their brand is important. And it's important to Jalen and it's important to his family. And he's not comfortable yet. Now, I think he's getting more comfortable. He knows he has to make a decision but I, I give him credit from the standpoint of we see a lot of kids put an artificial deadline on themselves and follow through with it, and maybe they're not comfortable. They may make a visit here or there or do whatever. And Jalen said, listen, I don't want to be visiting other places. I don't want to flip or decommit when I make a decision. So he's just not ready. Now, as I say all that, I still have my crystal ball on Penn State. And it's going to stay there until I hear and feel differently. I think USC is the biggest threat, but I do know that every class, Maryland coach Mike Loxley pulls in a local kid that you wouldn't think he was going to pull in, whether it was Jay Sean Barm two years ago, the linebacker, Neo Avery from Good Counsel last year. And you can go back to the Raheem, uh, Raheem Jarrett days and all that. And Jalen Harvey feels like he could possibly be that kid in this class. We'll see. Um, I, I just, 
I just know that he's conflicted and he's not comfortable yet to make a decision. Uh, sticking in the DMV and working our way back to some of those 2025 prospects who got to Penn State in the weekend, uh, Kanoa Winston is a is a big-time safety prospect. He's also a familiar name. His older cousin is a starting safety here, K.J. Winston, number 93 overall in the top 24-7 for the 2025 cycle. We've kind of gotten used to him being around campus of late, Brian. Um, yeah. Where does Penn State stand, and, and, and I guess how much does that familial connection here maybe come into play with the recruiting? <clears throat> Well, the, the family only comes into it if the other family members having a good time, right? And obviously, KJ is, he's, you know, he's playing. Um, you're also at a school that Penn State has had some success at. Um, that, you know, I'm not going to say that they're getting every kid they want out of Gonzaga, i.e. Evan Link. But, you know, Olu is a Gonzaga kid. And so for me, that he continues to visit Penn State is a very good sign. He comes from a family and a program that aligns with Penn State. And so, yeah, I mean, the more he visits, the better it is. And if I'm playing in the secondary and you're a recruit of his level, you know, you have to sit there and say, well, geez, they do develop them. And that's kind of what I want to do. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Penn State's in the best spot of all the schools, but we'll see how long he wants to continue his recruitment. One of the quarterbacks who was on campus on Saturday was Malik Washington out of Archbishop Spalding mm -hmm. in Maryland. Um, he's been on the target board for a while with Penn State. We've seen him around campus. He was at the Elite 11 regional event in State College earlier this year. Brian, I have a twofold question for you. How does he feel these days about the Nittany Lions? And how do you think Penn State views him as a quarterback prospect? We know that Mike Yersich brought in the number one guy in the country, and right. he looks the part so far And Drew Aller, and he's been aiming high. Ethan Grunkemeyer is a guy that a lot of people are excited about now in the 2024 cycle. What do you think is working on both ends of the spectrum with Malik Washington? Well, I think when you talk about the quarterbacks, you also have to mention the Bryce Underwood, Underwood yeah. is there too. From I mean, you know, that, that's a kid that everybody in the country seems to be after. And so you say so, and, and it's really interesting, Tyler. And this is what fascinates me about recruiting. With Malik Washington, he's been to camps a few times. He likes it a lot. I was with him at his school a few weeks ago. And he has not really expanded his recruiting reach yet. I do believe he went to Oregon for a trip. But it's more like Virginia Tech, Maryland, Penn State, a lot of little more local schools. And he's a big-time basketball player, too, who at some point is going to stop playing basketball. But um, So it limited what he can do as far as visits last spring and summer because of his AAU schedule. But he's a big-time athlete who – can, by the way, sling it. Just because you're a big-time athlete, a quarterback, doesn't mean you can't throw it. And he can throw it. That Elite 11 you talked about, I can make an argument that he was the best quarterback there that day, uh, just as far as his arm strength, accuracy, ball comes out free and easy. I've talked to a lot of schools that played against him, and they have nothing but good things to say about him. And it's not like, oh, all you have to do is this, and he can't figure it out. They just think he's really – a talented kid and, and they hate going against them, but they enjoy watching them. And so if you're Penn state, it's early, right? It's 2025s and, and Malik doesn't want to do anything probably until the spring at the earliest, but it's quarterback recruiting. And if you look at the top 30 quarterbacks in the 25 class, I think half of them are already committed just about half of right around that number. And so if you're Penn state 
as long as you can keep him on the side, you know, there and say, hey, we have a really good chance for him. We can do this while we try to get Bryce Underwood. Okay. But at some point, you're going to have to make that. Okay. Are we going for Malik? Are we going for Bryce? And where do they kind of intersect? And, and I think that's an interesting thing. It's one thing I'm watching. Now, listen, like I said, Malik doesn't have any ideas of announcing anytime soon. And that's according to him from a couple of weeks ago. We know things change quickly in recruiting, but I think Penn State has some time to figure this one out. And by then they should know also where they stand with Bryce Underwood. And for those who were unfamiliar by chance, uh, Bryce Underwood, the number one quarterback recruit in that 2025 class out of Belleville, Michigan, uh, again, a headliner uh, last Saturday. Uh, Brian, one other name I wanted to get to, and we'll, yeah. and we'll get more local with it, uh, out of the Haverford School, a, a young man that I, we got really familiar with this summer. Really cool story watching him come and earn his scholarship, and his recruitment continues to expand is Josh Williams. Uh, interior offensive line prospect for Penn State. He has been treated like a priority during his campus visits here, getting to the opener, getting to the whiteout. Uh, and and he's from a Penn State family. He's you know He hasn't beat around the bush on that subject. Um, between him and Michael Carroll, Brian, it feels like they have the makings of, of maybe an in-state collaborative offensive line class that could really have a bit of a personality out there. And uh, I just think it's uh, they're in a really good spot. They, they haven't sealed the deal here with either one. But can you can you kind of talk about Josh Williams from a Penn State perspective and also just his expanding profile? It's happened so fast for the young man. Yeah, and it's funny because I think if I remember right, he was offered in late June when he camped at Penn State. Yeah. And then if I remember right, and I was I was on the beach at this time, but for the last bash, <laughs> I, I think he got there for the last bash. Um, he did not. He was on he was on vacation in Europe with his family. Uh, I, I, I need to join a different family. <laughs> I was in the States. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he was at West Virginia. He was at uh, the Whiteout, like you said. I was DMing with him after the game. I was DMing with him Tuesday morning about some stuff. Uh, he's a smart kid. He's the class president at the Haverford School. Uh, really, obviously, a smart kid, but also a kid that understands life outside of football and what connections Penn State can give him, you know, especially as an in-state kid. And he's he's a, you know, we talked about Brady O'Hara or, or the Boyer kid out of North Carolina, Egan Boyer, who are long, lean, and need to develop some, you know, get, get some more muscle mass. Well, Josh Williams is a pretty strong kid. He's powerful. Um, he's interior to me all the way moves his feet well, he can bend, and I think he – look, all these kids better be getting better, but I think his ability to improve, he can go – he can really improve high. It's not like, well, how much – you know, Tyler, you know, you were in a recruiting game, right? You, you worked at schools. It's not just where are you now. It's are you maxed out already or do you go – how? And, and I think for him he has a really high ceiling with that. He's a kid that – we're going to get in front of our rankings committee. I, I had just put him on our discussion sheet for, for one of our calls when we get to 25s. Just to, you know, I started him out as a high three-star. And just to tell you what kind of kid he is, you know, I said, hey, I'm going to start you as a high three-star. Just understand, you know, it's a baseline. And he's like, oh, I'm so grateful for that. Thank you so much. And it's like, it's so nice to hear just kid. <laughs> he's just a happy kid and he's thankful. And you know he's going to, and, he, and he's like, look, I'm going to work really hard. And, and I believe him. And I think if Penn State, 
Look, if you look at Ohio State, they usually take care of Ohio and the best players. And Penn State has had a mixed bag with some of that, um, even though they've recruited really well. And I think when you start locking down kids like Josh Williams or Michael Carroll, Brady O'Hara, you know, Tyquee Hayes, Messiah Mickens, and, you know, I think that really helps. It, it, it gives you the foundation of a class. And to me, that that is really important. Let's finish with this, Brian. Um, Penn State's 4-0. They're a 26-point favorite last I checked uh, this weekend going out to Northwestern. Then That's they've it? got a bye week. Then they're home against UMass for homecoming. So it feels like they got a three-week, about a month-long window here to really marinate and be in one of the top teams in the country, not having a loss, and you know probably piling up a couple more blasts if things go according to plan. What do you think Penn State can do to capitalize on that momentum? And what are they already doing, in your opinion, to maybe do that? Because they've got, what, 10 consecutive wins going now, uh, going back to last season? Is that right? Well, two things. And, and I'm glad you asked it that way because it's something I did want to talk about. But I'll start with this. If these next few games are not blowouts, I am not going on the Lions 247 message board. <laughs> All right? <laughs> That's where we're going to start. And if they don't score – if they don't – if they do a three and out in their first possession against UMass, I'm just closing my computer and I'll see you tomorrow. There you now, go. The, the thing is this, it, it's set up for them well, um, just in terms of it gives them a chance to get healthy. Uh, you're going to have some road stuff. Look, Northwestern, I I saw them live. They're much better now than, than they were when I saw them live. But – I mean, you're Penn State trying to get to the college football playoff. I know it's a road game, but just go take care of business. Um, you know, they, they're good. Like, I look at it right now, and you could make an easy case that they're the best team in the Big Ten um, just because of how they're also throwing the ball and with Drew Alar coming along. So I think for them, the next month is just setting up for the, you know, to, for the, for the November stretch. And – what you're seeing in recruit and how does this relate to recruiting? Cause that's why I'm on and that's what we care about. Well, it allows kids to be excited about Penn state to look forward to getting back to campus. And when they go out in their bye week, they can talk about, Hey, we got Michigan coming up. We got this, we got that. And Oh, by the way, that, what is it? November 11th against Michigan, which is, I think, what is it? A noon kick they're talking about. Big man. Um, yeah. Now, it'd be much better if it was 7.30 for recruits to get there. But it's also the first week of playoffs in a lot of places. And so some teams will be eliminated. Some teams will have Friday night playoff games and still be able to get there. So I, I would ex – my expectation right now is the recruit list for that Michigan game will be better than it just was for the whiteout. Wow. Um, even, even with the noon start. Because this is going to be, as long as both can hold serve, this is going to be the game that Penn State has waited how long to play in, right? Yeah. In your own building. And so it, it all goes there. But I don't, I don't think, I think when Penn State goes on a road to recruit and, or they're talking to kids on the phone or whatever, all they have to do is, here's where we are, come be part of it. It's not a hard sell. This, you know, this isn't like Brent Pry at Virginia Tech, who is still trying to make people believe 
in his second year down there because he took over a program that was a mess, right? So mm -hmm. Penn State is beyond the, you know, come believe in us. It's like, hey, come be part of it. And I think they're doing a good job with that. And, and I think, listen, I know people don't really care about 26s and 27s for the most part, but, you know, when Larry Moon, a 27 from Western PA who has an offer, comes to the whiteout, that's important for him. And it's important to be around the, the coaches and the players and see that environment because when he makes a decision in two years, that's he knows that. And he, he's been through all this stuff. And, and I think sometimes it's really hard. Look, even as a guy covering recruiting, it's hard to shift from 24s to 25s and then 25s to 26s. So 27s, I, I don't, I've probably written maybe two stories on 27s <laughs> so far. But pay attention to them because – this is where you kind of, when when you're talking about elite players, trying to get in early with them is really important. Brian, you're the best in the business. We appreciate everything you do for us at Lions247.com. And when we get you on the podcast, it's always a fun time. So uh, great stuff. Thank you for the perspective. And I look forward to more coverage from you. I appreciate it. Thank you, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Uh, let's get into it with Daniel Gallon because we are, again, well underway with game week number five here in Happy Valley. A lot of excitement around this team. They finally moved up in the uh, AP Top 25 to number six from number seven. Uh, and that let's start off with where we just were about an hour and a half or so ago, and that was in the Beaver Stadium press room hearing from James Franklin in his usual Tuesday afternoon spot. And Daniel, as always, you were navigating our uh, board users at lines247.com through a lot of what James had to say. It was a bit all over the place again today. The, the subject this time was uh, coffee or not and how you drink it and, and, and how much sugar you put into it. Uh, but we'll put that aside for now. Uh, James spoke a lot today. He had a lot of, of extended answers, I felt, on, on, on particularly different things. So you were uh, you know, monitoring it, transcribing it in real time. I'm going to put it to you. Where do you think we need to start the, the post-James press conference conversation here on the podcast? 
I, I think we can look pretty big picture uh, at everything that James Franklin had to say. Uh, I think that these Tuesday press conferences give you kind of a, a window into how he's feeling about the team and also how what the overall perception on the beat is around the team. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, some Tuesdays you come in, especially if it's after a loss or something like that, and there's you know, an area that everyone seems to be hammering in a couple different, you know, ways, trying to ask the same question, a couple different ways to get a different answer. Um, but it felt like today it was a lot of kind of disparate questions, everybody, um, you know, kind of working on their own thing. And, um, you know, I think that for the second week in a row, really, you know, last week we had James Franklin doing the push-ups. Uh, today we had him asking everybody about, you know, their, how they take their coffee. Um, yeah, I think that that's someone who is, you know, pretty loose um, and, and, and pretty confident. But I, I think the one place, the one thing that stood out to me that got asked about in passing, um, but is probably worth circling back with Wednesday night directly is that, you know, he talked about this after the Iowa game and brought it up again today that, you know, he's emphasizing to coaches and players uh, not to get bored, um, especially going up against an offense like, or a defense like Iowa's where you know, you're doing the little things, you know, kind of chipping away, um, and it's working, uh, but it might not be the most exciting thing. It's not the sexiest way to get things done. Um, and he wants, you know, Mike Yersich, Manny Diaz, the players to to stick with what's working. And, you know, I think that that is something that has been interesting to hear from Franklin. Um, I mean, he's brought it up himself, uh, you know, every single time, you know, I think multiple times, um, you know, Saturday night. Uh, in his opening statement, I believe today. So that's a message that he wants to get through, you know, to his team, to his program. Um, and I think that that's a good, um, that's a good message to start with, especially with, you know, in the kind of the micro of going up against Iowa and kind of having to bang your head against the wall, <laughs> you know, over the course of the night. I mean, you look at that drive chart and while, you know, for the defense, it's great, you know, the, but for Iowa, for, for the offense, Iowa didn't really make it easy. Um, and so just sticking to what's working and, and not kind of, you know, losing that composure or letting your concentration slip up. Um, and then in the big picture, you talk about, you know, you just mentioned it to, to Brian, you know, 26 point favorites uh, going into this Northwestern game, then a bye week, then UMass. I mean, who knows what the number for UMass is going to be, depending <laughs> on what happens against Northwestern with that Ohio State game looming so i think that there's kind of a message right now to avoid some complacency um i think that james franklin is is pretty good uh at you know pushing these buttons and you know figuring out which button to push uh we talked about that on saturday night and so yeah, i think that that's something that has just kind of stood out to me on, on the drive home i was thinking about it you know i was hoping to get a question in and that's what i was going to ask about after we finished talking about coffee um, so I, I think for me, I think that's where I would start, uh, based off of what we just heard. And, and uh, yeah, a few things with James and you can certainly tell that he's in a good mood with the way he's interacting with us, uh, and you know, <laughs> nothing short about that. Um, but, but, you know, he, he's also just in his opening statement, when you're in the position and succeeding like they are, it's okay to, to remind people exactly what you're accomplishing. And one of his, uh, one of the things I quoted him on uh, earlier today was, we are leading the nation in time of possession, in turnover margin, in total defense, and pass defense. So pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that is pretty cool. And I mean, if you can write up a script for how your season is going to go back in August, uh, you know, obviously you want 
perfection. You're never going to get it. But I, I don't think James would have related out much differently than what they've gotten. It's the turnover margin stuff, especially. Uh, and I think the one thing that maybe was was asked about today um, and, and maybe less of a positive light because uh, is, is that explosive play aspect. Um, you know, it's something that we've talked about on the podcast. Uh, you're not really seeing it out of the ground game or the passing game. Uh, right now, Drew Aller uh, did not attempt a throw uh, of 20-plus yards in the last uh, matchup against Iowa, um, and, and that's something that we really haven't seen much of at all this season. And then Nick Singleton and Catron Allen, not necessarily his type of football, but neither of those guys have gone you know 25-plus on occasion when it felt like last year there were two or three of those runs every game. And we'll remind people now, Iowa has an elite defense and, and we'll also tell them again, Iowa had to play about a hundred snaps and something James Franklin said was it's okay. Don't get bored with, with being successful with picking up five yards of play and scoring on 12 plays. If, if we, you know, touchdowns are great and, and you're going to wear this defense down. And something he said was after he reminded his, his staff of that approach at halftime, he specifically said his offensive staff, he wanted to tell them not to get bored he said after that, he thought they had they were excellent in playing that wear you down, using the ground game to do it style of offense in the second half. And that was a big question I had, Daniel, going into the matchup. It was something I alluded to in the prediction piece. I thought they'd be able to get it done, but I thought it'd be closer on the scoreboard is grinding the game away. Get you know, just getting the game down to triple zeros with your offense and not needing to, to make your defense come up with a, a big sack on a third and long play or, or have a goal line stand. We've seen Penn state rely on that approach in big games in the past. And, and, and we've seen them unable to finish off some of their top rivals here in the big 10 with the ground game late resulting in punts and offensive possessions for the opponent. So they're doing a good job of this though. We saw them, the, the, the dam finally burst through in Illinois after the Illini had three quarters of fantastic defensive front play and I think you can kind of say that Iowa's defensive front maybe didn't last quite as long as Illinois wasn't as flashy as Illinois, but we have a lot of respect for that group. They didn't play a lot of personnel and they played almost 100 snaps. And by the end of this thing, Penn state was over 200 rushing yards and James Franklin, I think really took a lot of pride in their ability to, to, to kind of make a no fuss about it. Second half for the offense. Yeah. Another thing along those lines that Franklin talked about was, the he brought up balance, you know, not in the 50-50 yard split sense, but in the way that they're playing and the way that they're winning games. He said that you know, the way that they need to be able to win the game on the ground, which he thinks that they've done, they need to be able to win the game through the air, which he thinks that they've done. I think you look at that West Virginia game, Drew Aller thrown for 325 and three touchdowns, uh, and even this Iowa game, Drew Aller thrown for four touchdowns. Um, and he said that they've needed to win, needed to show that they can win by grinding a game out, which they did against Illinois. But he said that the one thing, one of the things that's still left is winning a game through these explosive plays. Um, you know, I think that we're still waiting for them to really put a bunch of, you know, of these big plays on tape, you know, to maybe land a, you know, if not a, a knockout punch, but a serious blow uh, early in the game. I think that we saw that in that West Virginia game, you know, the fact that they were able to, that Drew Aller was able to hit Keandre Lambert Smith for 72 yards in the first quarter. I think that that really sets the tone for the game. You, know, you talk about getting the crowd into it. If you're on the road, you can deflate an opposing crowd. Um, you know, I, I think we are still waiting to see Drew Aller and Nick Singleton and Katron Allen come out and really light somebody up um, because, you know, that is just a different way to win. 
Uh, it has a different mental effect both on your team and the opponent. So that's kind of still what is left. Um, you know, I think that what they've, I think of the different ways to win a game, I think that I'm the most fine with not, uh, you know, with not having this way to win a game yet, you know, checked off. I, I think that if we're at a point where grinding out a game was still a question mark, I think I might be a little, I'd still be confident, but I'd still, I might be a little bit more concerned based on, you know, the, the history of this program uh, in terms yes. of what we saw in, in 2021 um, and what we saw against Michigan last year. But I think the fact that they've shown that they can grind out games, you know, already, you know, we're four games into the season. Um, I think that's something that that's really good to have, you know, on your resume, something that you've shown. I'm glad you brought up that 2021 season because when they had that on undefeated September and they were in the top five nationally in rankings, there was a lot of sizzle, but not a lot of stake offensively. There were a bunch of long distance plays. There were some really nice long runs, but there weren't sustained drives. And there were those warning signs against you know less than stellar opponents earlier in your schedule that you weren't pushing them around. And I wanted to get there in terms of pushing teams around. They didn't bully them all over the field, but they, again, stayed on the field down after down, third and shorts, fourth and shorts. This offensive line was ultimately – the pick for for this staff's MVP of the day, and so we we hear the staff they, they, every Tuesday who they go with offense, defense, special teams. It was Chop Robinson on defense. It was Don Deluca, uh, linebacker, playing special teams as the special teams uh, pick. But he went seven deep on the offensive line. They they think they have seven starters. He included uh, Benga Yoane, who played a ton at guard. Actually ended up playing more than Salim Warmly over the course of this matchup. And he also named Drew Shelton, which on this day of all, uh, it was actually his lightest uh, workload of the season. But he certainly is that swing tackle for them. And this makes back to back weeks, Daniel. It was if I had a chance to ask a question, I believe I was left on, on, in the batter's box, and and it's totally okay. We run out of time sometimes, and sometimes you're left holding the mic. But I, I was going to ask about the fact that this week they go offensive line. Last week their offensive player of the game was Hunter Norzad. So that's two Big Ten matchups against two teams that we said, oh, are you going to be able to do it up front? And both times the staff goes offensive line. I want to learn a little bit more about how Franklin and company are really feeling about what they're getting because I think they're a lot higher on this group than probably the average fan is right now through four games. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought that the the player of the game stuff was interesting. Um, you know, Drew Shelton, like you mentioned, had his latest workload. And I think we talked about it a little bit with Mark yesterday or on Monday where they didn't rotate at right tackle at all. That Caden Wallace went wire to wire with the ones, which I think might have been the first time this year. I'd, I'd have to go back and... Or and last play. year. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. First time in, in a very long time to see Caden Wallace uh, you know, do that. So... You know, but I do think that they feel that way about Drew Shelton. I think that he banked a lot of, um, you know, I don't know if goodwill is the right term for it, but he put a lot of stuff on tape last year um, and came through for them in a big spot. And I feel like that they do trust him um, if, if they were need to you know call his number. But yeah, I, I think that the offensive line is really interesting. You know, they the Illinois game was a tough matchup with Johnny Newton. Um, on the other side, facing a, a game-wrecking defensive tackle um, is, you know, pretty tough for for any team, um, I think. But yeah, I do think that it it is kind of crazy to say that a team with Olu Fashionu on it, um, you know, at, at left tackle, uh, he picked up some weekly recognition today from the Outland Trophy um, as the 
you know, Outland Trophy National Player of the Week. He was um, he was awesome. I mean, yeah, you had, you had your rewind, and and he was. We haven't seen a ton of him early in the season. If you get that Olu Fashionu against Ohio State, Michigan, you can kind of check that part of the game off your list because you're getting elite level tackle play on on the blind side of your young quarterback. Exactly, and you know it feels kind of weird to say that. Uh, uh, an offensive line with him on it might be flying a little under the radar right <laughs> yeah. now. Um, but I think that that interior group, um, you know, might be a little bit underappreciated because that we're not seeing those big yards per carry numbers. Um, you know, they didn't turn in their cleanest tape at Illinois last week because of Johnny Newton. Um, but I think that, and it's also the group that kind of has the, I think maybe the the least flashy guys in terms of star rankings and and pro you know projections and and things like that. Um, but I, I am curious to I would be curious to see how James Franklin would assess the, those guys so far. You know how do they feel inside the building? I mean, when we talked to Phil Troutwine a, a couple of weeks ago, I mean he seemed very very excited and, and very happy with how this group is is performing. So I think that that's something to watch. You know, I think that this Northwestern game uh, presents them with an opportunity uh, to, you know, once again assert themselves, be dominant. Uh, James Franklin singled out a couple of the Northwestern linebackers as guys to watch this year or this week. So I think that'll be a, an interesting matchup. But I think where these where this offensive line is right now, um, I think it is a positive, and I think that if Nick Singleton or Katron Allen break, you know, one tackle or make another guy miss, it can change the perception of that line a little bit, you know, whether that's fair or not, but yeah. I think it could. Well, you know, the grinded out style and then the, you know, the, the just, you know, getting first downs by via three plays that like they've been doing a lot uh, and, you know, getting to the end zone via 15 plays that doesn't, you know, people want to see the big holes and they want to see running backs bursting through them. But you're not getting sacks and you're not seeing these running backs, you know, hitting the backfield. Remember, remember 2021 remember <laughs> what backfield looked like it was like a, trying to go through a, a, you know, a minefield before you can mm -hmm. even get to the line of scrimmage. You're not seeing Nick Singleton and Katron Allen get a lot of wiggle room and get to that second level, but you're not seeing a lot of running plays fall short of at least two yards or so. And that is a, that's a, what you need sometimes against the Iowa's and Illinois of the world. And we're one third away this season, but the season's a little bit skewed in terms of competition. So I think we've got a lot to learn, but I'm also not going to just say this is going to be a completely revolutionary uh, you know, change in, in the offense when we see them you know, go out in Columbus. But they're in a really good situation to hit that game against Ohio State at 6-0 without having have, have, you know, emptied their sleeves, I guess, if you're Mike Yurcich, in terms of what you can accomplish offensively. And a big part of what we're going to get between this point and that point, Daniel, is – uh, what's going on with the wide receiver room? You know, who's going to step up between now and then? Who's going to to you know prove that they're not up to the task? And who's going to say, I demand these reps because he can't keep me off the field? And maybe no one does that. But I think Harrison Wallace was the guy that looked the part early, opposite of Keandre Lambert Smith. It's been the Keandre Lambert Smith show at wide receiver, and then it's been a, you know a steady drop off from there. He's got 21 catches, I believe, through these four games. Uh, Harrison Wallace is next up at 10. No one else has reached 10 in the wide receiver room. So Wallace, 25 snaps uh, as a second teamer coming back from an injury issue. He started the first couple games, had 10 catches through those first two weeks, uh, but he was not targeted on, on Saturday. And James Franklin acknowledged this Tuesday that Harrison Wallace, he wouldn't 
call him 100% uh, going into that matchup against uh, Iowa. So you wonder if another week of, 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 you know, getting healthier hopefully sets him up for a bigger day against Northwestern. And if that's not the case, then you've got a bye week uh, to, to really try to address that issue. But to me, he's a key ingredient that we've got to look at, at wide receiver. But And James Franklin discussed it today. It, it still kind of goes with what we've been hearing, the mantra since, what, March? Uh, it's it's Keandre Lambert-Smith. It's when he's available, Harrison Wallace. And then it's a cluster of guys who each have an opportunity every single day on the practice field, then come Saturdays, to seize their moment and, and to take that take it by the horns. And thus far we've seen kind of like the stock market. Guys have, you know, jumped up one day, spiked a little bit, and then come down the next game. And, and, and it's hard to sort through a game by game thus far. And even when you look at the collective four-game sample size, you can say, okay, well, Dante Cephas is trending up in terms of usage, but then you look at the production and you, one catch for 11 yards last game, and you can say – well, Malik McLean, he looks like he's buried now after going from 45 snaps to 15 snaps, but wouldn't shock me if he finds himself somewhere toward the taller end of that number against Northwestern because, again, you're just waiting for someone to seize that moment, and we're also waiting for the passing game to show its true identity. Yeah, Franklin said that there were, I think, five guys after Lambert Smith and Wallace uh, that they've really been looking at and that they, they've seen flashes, but it just comes back to that consistency uh, which is something that that we've heard about for uh, you know a very long time at this point. Um, you know, I am curious how may maybe Liam Clifford fits into that because I think that he is. We're going to talk to Marcus Hagens on Thursday, and when we talked to Hagens uh, you know, during training camp, he was talking a lot about consistency. And when you asked him who was being the most consistent, he you know wouldn't wouldn't give you a name. But then when he was asked about Clifford, he did drop a consistency in there. So. Yeah, I think that he's someone to watch from that perspective. Um, he's played the most in the slot. I mean, no one's really yeah. – I mean, you think Keandre Lambert-Smith in the slot for maybe a quarter of his snaps consistently. You saw Caden Saunders get up toward 20 snaps in the slot last week. Dante Cephas gets a handful. Harrison Wallace was getting a handful. But Liam Clifford, not only is he like exclusively doing it in the slot, but I think it's now four consecutive games of 24, 25-plus snaps there. So he's set that role, but I don't know if it gets to the point where – He's a full-fledged starter in terms of those snap counts by game's end. Yeah, and I think also we've seen what James Franklin said where the wide receivers are also competing with the tight ends. Uh, for Not very well time. so far based on snap <laughs> counts because Tyler Warren and, and Theo Johnson don't leave the field. No, I mean, Tyler Warren, I think, has done a, a really good job of solidifying his spot uh, on this offense and you know getting out there in that starting lineup where he's in that first group on the field. I know that obviously some of that is situational like when you're pinned inside your your five yard line uh you know maybe opening with three wide receivers isn't the you know the best move so you you put warren out there but you know i, I think that it's i think that there's still a lot of moving parts there and i think this kind of goes with uh you know seeing more explosive plays through the air i think that you know if you're one of these wide receivers you obviously don't want to force anything but you look at what you have coming up against northwestern and umass I mean, these are two teams that you should be able to make some plays against. So you you want to see guys make plays against these types of opponents. Um, I think that Omari Evans is someone to keep an eye on. I mean, he had a you know, very sneaky, I think, 42 snaps uh, against, yeah. you know, he almost out snapped al yeah. snap Dante Cephas. Like they're putting him back on the field. We saw one, I wrote about this in the rewind. We saw one personnel grouping in the first quarter that was, Omari Evans, Harrison Wallace, and Caden Saunders. You know, that's some young, explosive talent out there. Um, 
So I think that they're really mixing and matching and trying to figure out what is going to work for Drew Aller, what is going to work for this offense. Um, but you know, these next you know three weeks, two games, it's a really prime opportunity to you know make something happen, to put something on tape. Um, but it's got to be consistent. I think that that's what it's going to come down to. And I think that if you're not being consistent, I think James Franklin and Mike Yersich are you know perfectly happy being like. All right, more for Tyler Warren, maybe even more for Khalil Dinkins. I think the good thing, if you're looking at this uh, wide receiver situation uh, here in September 26th, is it feels like you know what the floor probably is at the wide receiver spot, but the ceiling is kind of unknown because a guy like Omari Evans or a Harrison Wallace or a Dante Cephas, I mean, the list goes on and on. They could be like, by the time we get into you know early November and Michigan comes to town, they could be an established playmaker, like someone who's already done it game by game by game. It has to start happening soon, though. You, you can't just say someone's going to step up, someone's going to step up. Eventually, someone either does or doesn't. But you're right. The next 120 minutes of football, because of the way these matchups are going to be, a lot of snaps are going to be dispersed. And whether Bo Perbilo is throwing the football or Drew Aller is throwing the football, uh, you're under the microscope. Because I have a feeling this team wants to come out of that first six-game set and know exactly who is playing wide receiver and when they're playing wide receiver and who's going to be in the slot and why they're all, why they all have those roles when you go up against the Buckeyes in Columbus. So, uh, you know, again, I think it's, I think it's more of a, a lot more to gain from this than you have to lose moving forward at the, at the wide receiver spot in terms of the stock up versus stock down overall. Let's finish here, Daniel, with uh, some notes from a couple of players, our player calls here on a Tuesday. Uh, we're getting underway. We have a lot more conversations to come with Penn State players between now and the end of this game week. And, and Lions247.com will be uh, jumping in all of our notes and updates. But it began with K.J. Winston, who's certainly a figure on the rise, uh, starting safety for this defense. We know they use four safeties uh, a bunch, but he has been locked in as a first-teamer since game one. And he's a guy that came in last year, Daniel. You know about this. He played about 100 snaps on defense, but he was buzzy. I mean, there was a lot of talk about this guy. He was in a room where he didn't have to play a bunch of football. He still burned red shirt, found some pass on special teams. And he's still a guy that I think when he truly gets unleashed, and maybe it doesn't happen until next year when he gets like a starter's run of snaps and he's like barely leaving the field. But this guy has about as high a ceiling, I think, of, of the homegrown talent that Penn State has had at safety. They've, they've had some great players by way of the Juco college level. But I think in terms of guys that I've witnessed them bring in from the high school level, develop on their own, where he could be at the back end of his Nittany Lions career, it's about as high as I think I would project of, of any Penn State players I've seen come through here. Yeah, I mean, you just look at him physically when he's out there on the field and he, he looks the part as one of those really long, rangy athletic safeties. Uh, I, wrote, I wrote about this too on, on Monday with that you know three defensive end prowler package and where they were moving KJ Winston around. Uh, you know, he was lining up on the line of scrimmage, showing blitz, you know, lining up over a guard or a center at some points. I mean, he's the, you know, he has that size and I think strength to really do a lot of things. But, you know, hearing him talk, I think the one thing that stood out to me is he talked about how much fun it was to play for Manny Diaz. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that there's a defensive coordinator who is really flexible, really creative, um, you know, really willing to, you know, mix things up a little bit. You know, he, I think he talked about, you know, his first year last year as a freshman 
trying to learn and keep up with anything. It might have been a little difficult at times, but you know, this year he feels very confident. You know, he knows the defense. Uh, and so then when Manny Diaz comes with these different wrinkles, you know, they can just kind of build on that knowledge base. Uh, and I think that that's something that really caters to him. And, and then he just talked about being more confident, which is what you want to hear from a, a second year player who you know has really earned that starting spot. I think that with what we saw last year with the snap distribution um, of those top four, I thought that we might see a situation similar where, um, you know, Keaton Ellis is the starter um, or, you know, someone else is the starter, but doesn't necessarily play the most reps. Um, You know, we saw that with Jalen Reed out snapping Keaton Ellis last year. Um, But, you know, KJ Winston has gotten that start and he's been out there a lot. Um, yep. So I think that speaks to the the trust that Anthony Poindexter and, and Manny Diaz have in him and what he's done behind the scenes. I, I agree with you. The biggest takeaway from the, the 12, 15 minutes or whatever it was with KJ to me was just how much fun he's having playing with Manny Diaz. It sounds like they show up to work to start these game weeks and they don't know what to expect. They don't know what Manny Diaz is going to you know, pull out of his pocket and say, here's what we're doing. Here's something new. And it sounds like they're thriving off that because they've got all the baseline fundamental aspects of this defense down pat now. Whereas last year, a lot of them, you know, this time of the year, especially a lot of them will tell you in retrospect, they were just trying to figure out where they needed to be, not really asking why. And now they're asking why and they're learning why. And it's all the difference. And when you're doing that with 30 guys involved regularly, it's it's a very well-oiled machine right now for Manny Diaz if that uh, Iowa performance was not an indication of that. Uh, while I was getting ready for my, my interview with Brian just before you, uh, obviously you were sitting down to talk to Alex Falcons. So I missed that call. I'm going to hear it from you for the first time. Uh, he's a guy who's under the, the microscope along with the special teams room, I think, so far. He took the job at play sticker after a first half in week one where Sanders Sahedak missed a couple in the second quarter. Uh, Falcons now uh, mixed reviews. I think overall more positive, but he missed a, a 45 yarder. Was it uh, again against uh, Iowa? Maybe 43, um, and then a week before had one blocked while going three for four against Illinois. So it seems like he's pretty safe in having this job for now. What did you hear from him uh, as he, I guess, assessed his performance thus far? Yeah, I started by asking him about that miss, you know, what happened uh, with the operation and everything. And he said that he got a little sped up. uh, And then as he was through his motion, tried to slow down and, you know, overcompensated a little bit and which just led to a to a poor kick. Um, But, you know, he's an he's an interesting guy to talk to. You know, we also talked to him for a while after the Illinois game. Um, He reiterated some of the some of the things that he said then uh, in terms of his range, you know, he thinks that anything from 55 yards and in, you know, he feels pretty confident um, that he can, you know, that he can hit. Um, he said that anything beyond that, he would really need to, to muscle it uh, a little bit more, you know, during pregame warmups uh, on Saturday night. Uh, I believe we saw him miss from 55 or 56. Uh, and then we saw Sanders to Haydack hit from 58. Um, which was sandwiched between misses from 57 and 59. Um, but something that, that James Franklin brought up today that I thought you know, is, a, you know, is a talking point for special teams is that you know, they've been going for it on fourth down. Um, you know, maybe if they kick some more of those shorter field goals, you know, like they went from it, they went for it on fourth down at the nine on Aller's uh, touchdown pass to Khalil Dinkins uh, against Iowa. You know, if you kick that field goal, um, you know, maybe your the numbers look a little bit nicer uh, for these for these specialists. But 
Yeah, I mean, Falcons, he's an Ivy League guy. You know, we've talked about it before with talking to Eric Wilson, um, even last year talking to Barney Amore, who was a Patriot League guy at Colgate. Um, you know, they're, and especially as a specialist uh, with Amore and Falcons, they're, they're wired a little bit differently. Um, and we heard from Alex Falcons a little bit more about you know, his path and why he picked Penn State, how he ended up here. Um, he said that he knew that he was going to transfer to Penn State, not to Penn State, to transfer in general um, his sophomore year in 2020 when the Ivy League uh, canceled the season because of COVID. You know, when he found out that he got the waiver, then his goal was, okay, I'm going to do my four years at Columbia, get my degree, and then transfer. And he said that when he was in the portal, his goal was basically to go wherever he could get you know, the big time college football experience. You know, he wanted to be on the bigger stage, be part of a, a big program uh, and have this experience. And he said that when he first entered the portal, he didn't necessarily get as much interest as, as he thought he might. I mean, he's a career 66%, um, you know, field goal kicker at Colgate or not Colgate at Columbia getting all these C schools confused. I'm, I'm, I'm like Mark trying to figure out <laughs> all those Northeastern schools that, uh, that one time. But, you know, he said that you know, he didn't necessarily get as much interest as he thought he might, uh, given his track record and experience. Um, but, you know, Stacy Collins, you know, they connected and it ended up being a, a good fit for him. And since he's gotten here, he thinks that he's just really developed the mental side of the game. You know, that being in that being in the lash building, you know, around that kind of competition, you know, being around a big time program like Penn State, it's really forced him to become mentally stronger to work on that side of the game. And he feels like that that's really shown up you know, on Saturdays so far this year. Columbia's all-time points leader, five of seven so far for field goals with Penn State. Uh, one miss from beyond 40, one block from beyond 50, and uh, no issues on the extra points so far for Falcons since taking over the place kicker job. Uh, more pressure-packed moments await for him, though. That That is for mm -hmm. sure. We we just started peeling back the curtain on on Mr. Falcons, and we're going to find out a lot more starting this Saturday. But I'm, I'm looking longer term when three points can add up in a much different way than it has so far on the scoreboard for Penn State. Daniel, appreciate the perspective. I know you'll have more at lines247.com. We'll be back out on the practice field on Wednesday. We'll be back here on the podcast Thursday to take another look at Northwestern and give our preview and predictions. So I'll let you get back to it, but thanks for hopping on the pod with me. Yeah, and thanks for everyone who stuck around to listen to me after Doan. <laughs> All right, man. See ya. Thank you. Uh, thanks again to Brian Doan, who was fantastic uh, for the first segment of this uh, episode. We'll get him back on a little bit later here in the fall, take a longer look at the 2024 recruiting class, and by then what should be a bigger 2025 Nittany Lions recruiting class as well. Big thanks to Daniel Gallon. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday. Not only will we offer our takes on this upcoming matchup between Penn State and Northwestern, but we will have a Wildcats beat reporter break down where Northwestern stands at right now at 2-2, two and two, which is more wins than they had all of 2022 during that season. They have had an insanely eventful offseason and a dumpster fire situation that was brewing, but 
What could that fourth quarter comeback do for their program? Uh, that took place against Minnesota last Saturday. And uh, what does it sound like in Evanston regarding this matchup as Penn State prepares to come to town as a near four touchdown favorite? We'll talk about that and a lot more on Thursday. Uh, in the meantime, head over to lions247.com. 30% gets you VIP act 30% off on VIP access uh, for a full year or $1 gets you VIP access for a full month. Uh, get a look at what we do on a daily basis and what guys like Brian Doan contribute toward our site from the national network. And I don't think you will be disappointed uh, for now. Stepping aside on behalf of everyone on our team, I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the Lions 24 seven podcast. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. 